Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Frantic, reactive, scattered, chaotic, even stressed? Ever feel that way about your family? Perhaps you find yourself functioning as if your whole strategy when it comes to family is let's just do what needs to be done. Join us this week as we look at what it means to develop a rallying cry by Eric challenging us in the area of our families. I'm sure many of us have had to endure those kinds of surprise and delight meals occasionally. They're fantastic. Well, welcome to week number two of Frantic Families, and that's the name of the series that we're in. And last week, guest teacher Tim Chambers launched this series for us by talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. And certainly that can get a bit frantic at times, can it? And he gave us some helpful tips and takeaways on how to reduce and overcome the franticness when it comes to that relationship. And if you didn't get the chance to hear that, I would encourage you to check out our podcast at valleypointchurch.com. Today we're going to talk about frantic families as it relates to parenting. So parents, this specifically applies to us, but I believe that anybody involved in any type of family can benefit from what we're going to share today, even if you're not in that parenting stage. As a matter of fact, I believe that what I'm going to share today is helpful for every and any organization. You know, maybe you're beyond the parenting years, like that's in the past for you. Well, this applies, what we're going to share today, because you're still part of this organization called family. That's still something that you have to deal with. Maybe parenting hasn't even started for you yet, and that's way down the road. Well, this applies to you because you're still part of this organization called family. Maybe parenting will never be part of your life. Well, this applies today because what we're talking about is this organization called family, and we're really all a part of this on some level. So I want to encourage everybody just to lean in a bit. About six weeks ago, I read a book called Frantic Families by Patrick Lencioni. Patrick is a business author, and he's really made a whole career out of helping businesses and organizations know how best to fulfill their purpose and their mission. And so he writes books, and he travels all over the world, and he consults, and he helps these companies really be at their best. And as he wrote this book, he began to share how after different meetings and after different consultations, he would have these CEOs and these high-capacity leaders come to him and say, you know what, I can run a business. Like, I can do that. That's a fun thing. That's easy. But my family, I cannot figure out. And it's a disaster. And it's in ruins. Can you help me with that piece at all? And so Patrick began to think about that and he took his business acumen and he then applied that to this organization called family and he really provides a fair amount of helpful takeaways. As a matter of fact, the big idea that I'm going to share today is taken from that book. 
Now, I want to say this. If the word family kind of just turns your stomach, it's just a bad word for you because of something that's happened in your past. And it's a dark thing and it's there and it's aggravating and it's depressing and you don't really like thinking about family. You don't like talking about that. It just kind of makes you sick. Well, I want to give you permission not to go there today. I want to give you permission to think about something else. Think about yourself and the other relationships that you have and the other organizations that you're involved in. So I want to give you permission. If that's a really, really hard thing for you because of something that's happened in your life, you don't have to go there. Just think about another level or organization in your life. Now, having said that, we are going to focus on families and parenting. So if you're outside of that, just pull out what works for you in your relationships, and in your organizations. I want you to think about these words. Frantic, reactive, scattered, chaotic, and stressed. Ever felt that way? I don't think everybody in here is being honest. Let's look at that again. Frantic, reactive, scattered, chaotic, and stressed. Have you ever felt that way? Perhaps you feel as if your whole strategy in life is this. We just do what needs to be done until everyone's in bed and we can rest and then we get up the next day and we do it again. Like we just survive. I mean, we kind of just make it through the day until everybody's in bed and then we go to bed ourselves and we get up and we try to do it again. It's like survival mode. I can kind of connect with that a bit. My wife and I have six children, and sometimes I would say our family is a bit frantic. The pace is just a little crazy at times. About three weeks ago, my grandmother passed away, and so we traveled back to Illinois quickly so we could be with family and just uh, be a part of what was happening there and encourage each other. And while we were there doing that, we got word that Tanya's grandmother in Ohio passed away as well. So they were both fairly sick for about a year, and we kind of anticipated that this was coming, but it happened really fast, and they were very close together. And so on our way back from Illinois, we actually stopped in Ohio to see Tanya's family, and we dropped off Tanya and our youngest daughter, Cambry, and they stayed there so Tanya could have a little more time with their family. And then I came back here, home, with five of the kids. Dad of the month, right? Yeah. And, you know, I thought this is going to be a great idea. This will be fun, and I'll have the kids to myself, and I can have a lot of quality time with them, and this will just be wonderful. It'll be good for me. It'll be good for them. And everything really was good until I discovered how much they eat. And it's all about food, and they want to know what's next. And I felt I was constantly doing nothing but preparing for the next meal. And I don't even enjoy that. I don't even like that. And they kept asking for food, and they were constantly hungry. And I was trying to tell them that this isn't humanly possible, but they kept coming back and wanting more and more food. And then they're like, Dad, there's no towels in the house. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Spin one on the spot here? And then the BYC games and the homework and the cleanup and then more food and more homework and more BYC games and frantic, 
reactive, scattered, chaotic, and stressed. That was me. I think we've all been there at times in our organizations, family, or other. And most of the time, the experts will tell us, well, just get a family vision statement. I mean, just craft that. And when you move through a frantic season, just pull it out, review that, and live it out, and everything will be okay. Yeah, that almost never works. Never. Because vision statements for families, as well as organizations, are way too wordy and are very difficult to measure. They're way too worry, uh, wordy and way too difficult to measure. And so it's a difficult thing to pull off. So with our families, when we get into this frantic mode, how about something that just helps us survive another 30 days or 60 days or the next quarter? How about that? And so here's our big idea today. This is what we want to wrestle with. And that is to develop a rallying cry with your family, develop a short-term rallying cry that will last 30 days or 60 days or something like that. And I believe this is something that can help every type of family, single parents, blended families, kids. Even if you don't have kids, you can still develop a rallying cry for those who are separated right now. See, we, we can all do this. And let's start with Scripture and find just a great story that illustrates this. You know, if you're here and the whole God thing and the whole Bible thing really doesn't make a lot of sense to you and you're not quite there and you don't know if you really believe all of that, I want to say that you've chosen a great Sunday to be here because we're going to look at something that really affects all of us and that is family and organizations and uniquely, God has something to say in his word that provides a lot of help in this area. So I am really, really glad that you're here. I want to take you to the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is one of the books of the Bible that shares the story of a guy, a leader named Nehemiah. And here's what we find Nehemiah doing. He's actually working for another king in this story. And he's been taken out of his own city as a captive. He's basically a slave, but he's being treated well by this other king. He's got a pretty good job, but Nehemiah is very discouraged and very aggravated because his hometown of Jerusalem is in ruins. I mean, it is absolutely destroyed. And there's no happiness in that city, the city that he loved and the city that he enjoyed. There was no business taking place there. There weren't even really people living in that city. It was just a disaster. And so Nehemiah gets kind of sad about this and the king notices that Nehemiah is not that happy. And so the king asks, why are you so aggravated? Why are you so sad? And Nehemiah begins the process of telling him that my hometown is in absolute ruins and it's bothering me. I would love to go back and see what I might be able to do to help my hometown. And so the king said, great, why don't you go back and check it out and see what you can do. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter two and where we see the power of a short-term rallying cry and what that can do for you as parents, what that can do in your families, what this can do in any organization. All right, so check this out. Here's Nehemiah. 
He said, I arrived in Jerusalem, and three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. Again, the place is just a disaster. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the Valley Point Gate. Yeah. So the city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. Now, I want you to notice who is involved in this project. Because a project of this size and this scope, it doesn't just happen. They don't just employ other people and bring in contractors and the wall gets done. Here's who's involved in the project. Next, Judea, son of Haramaph, repaired the wall across from his own house. And next to him was Hattush, son of Hashabaneah. Then came Melchizedek, son of Haram, and Hashab, son of Pahath, Moab, who repaired the, another section of the wall and the tower of the oven. So a lot of unique names here, right? Check out verse 12. Shalem, son of Halohesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. Question, who's involved in this project? People, families. And Nehemiah kind of throws out this short-term rallying cry that we have to end this disgrace. We've got to rebuild these walls and families start getting together. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. This is something else Nehemiah is doing. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation... I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Sounds like something straight out of Braveheart, doesn't it? I just throw in your own little Scottish accent here and it works. This is Nehemiah's rallying cry. It's time to end the disgrace. Let's rebuild the wall and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So what was the result? So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun, and when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help 
of our God. Now, this would have been a fast project in any era, let alone way back in the day where they didn't have the type of equipment that we had. But they had focus and clarity and passion, which is all the opposite of frantic. And because they had focus and clarity and passion, they were able to complete something in a very short amount of time. They had a 52-day rallying cry where Nehemiah said, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to build. And here's how we're going to pull that off. We're going to station you along the wall by families and you're going to build and you're going to defend and you're going to defend some more and then you're going to build some more. And in 52 days, we're going to make this happen. And it worked. It worked. I believe from this story, we can learn a lot. Like when we have focus and clarity and passion in our families and in our organizations, we can remove frantic. Is it going to be perfect? Of course not. Are we going to mess up? absolutely we're going to mess up. But if we don't implement something, then we're back to this. We just do what needs to be done until everyone's in bed and we can rest and then we get up the next day and we do it again and God doesn't want us to live that way. God wants more. So let's develop a family short-term rallying cry. I want you to think about this for a second. What's your family's top priority right now? And if you had to get up and you had to define that, what would you say right now is your family's top priority? I want to give you a very practical key question to ask that's going to help you determine that and think about that. And here's the question. If we could accomplish just one thing as a family before Easter 2013, what would that be? Just one thing. If we could pull off one thing before Easter of this year, what would that be? Now, I want you to know, Easter is 56 days away. So Nehemiah and the families around him were able to rebuild a wall in 52 days. We're going to give everybody four more days to accomplish something. So this is the question you need to think about. This is the question you need to ask in order to help you think about developing your own personal short-term rallying cry. What is it that we need to accomplish as a family before Easter 2013? Now, here's some practical help and thoughts on that. Does that answer revolve around a person? Because maybe there's a person in your family or your organization that they just need some attention and love and care and they're hurting and you know that. And so maybe your short-term rallying cry is as a family, as an organization, we're going to get around this person and we're going to help them. Maybe that's a child. Maybe that's a parent. Maybe dad or mom needs work. And so for the next season, our short-term rallying cry is going to be to encourage dad or to encourage mom, and we're going to rally around them and help them in every way that we possibly can find new work. Maybe that answer revolves around a project. You got a vacation coming up, or you got something in your home that just needs to be done, and you know what that is. 
See, you can develop that short-term rallying cry around that project. Maybe the answer involves a spiritual component. It doesn't have to be spiritual, but maybe you know what's happening in your organization, in your family, and there just needs to be a spiritual element brought in right now. And so for the next 56 days, you're going to establish a short-term rallying cry that says, here's what we're going to pull off, and here's what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to build. So what does that answer revolve around for you? You need to think about that. Let me share with you what we did as a family because we started this journey a while ago and we began with something that absolutely failed. Like it just didn't work for us. And I, I was a little discouraged because you know when you read books and you think about this, everything's supposed to be perfect and wonderful and it didn't happen. And so we kind of went back to the drawing board and said, let's think about something else. So our first short-term rallying cry was as a family, we were gonna do everything together all of the time. So you guys are smarter than me. (laughs) You know that's not going to work, but we wanted to encourage each other. And so when Caden had a soccer game, we wanted to get everybody in the car and we wanted to all go to the field and we wanted to be the big family on the sidelines screaming and cheering and jumping up and down for Caden or if it was Kaylee's game or whoever. We just all wanted to be together. Didn't work. Didn't work at all. As a matter of fact, we found ourselves arguing and complaining. Hey, we're doing this because we like each other. Get in the car. And so we said, that's over. We're just not going to do that anymore because it increased the franticness. And so we came up with a new rallying cry. And we decided that we still wanted to encourage each other. And so we just left it at that. And so Tanya designed this board where there are six different envelopes with our kids' names on them. There's little slips of paper there and some pens and when we walk by that, it's kind of a reminder to just write a little note of encouragement to the kids and they can do it for each other. And they're starting to do this. It's still not perfect. It's not great. And there's weeks where I forget about that, but it's starting to gain traction for us where we are actually encouraging each other. That's our rallying cry, nothing fancy, nothing crazy. We just need to encourage each other because in our family, there can be a lot of arguing and a lot of people talking. And so we just want to encourage each other. That's our rallying cry. What's yours? There's some takeaways. Number one, don't worry about making it perfect. It may not even work. Just start something. Do something and think about your short-term rallying cry and the project that might be involved in that or the person or the goal. Don't worry about making it perfect. Just start something. Secondly, write down your rallying cry and put it in a visible place. We kind of have our board in a high traffic area in our home. And it's a reminder that when you walk by, you need to consider looking at this and doing it and writing something down. And then thirdly, evaluate and then do it again evaluate after 30 days or 56 days or whatever you set that time frame as and then do it again. What happened? Did it work? You might find that it worked in a great way and then you move on to a new rallying cry because it's a new season and there's something new in front of you or maybe you do that again because it was a really great thing for your family at this particular time that helped you move past frantic. 
Let's go back to the big idea for just a second. Develop a rallying cry. This is what's in front of all of us. It's Super Bowl Sunday. There's a big game and parties and food and whatever. That hasn't started yet. And so you have some time before all of that stuff to begin the conversation. Develop a rallying cry. Because here's what it does for us. It gives us focus and clarity and passion in our families and in our organizations. And it helps us move past frantic. Father, we're so thankful for a little bit of time today on this day where we're thinking and celebrating family. And God, I just pray that you'd really help us all to consider what type of rallying cry you might want us to develop. God, I think there's something for every single organization and family in this room. And so I just pray that you'd help them to really wrestle with this before the game, before all of the stuff that moms and dads would just have some honest and authentic conversations about what is it that we need to focus on for the next 56 days and maybe pull some kids into that conversation and ask them, what do you think we should be focusing on as a family? God, I think there's some individuals here who lead at high levels and are high-capacity individuals who could probably take this into their workplace and say, you know what, here's our rallying cry as a business and just the focus and clarity that that might provide. God, you give us a great story in Scripture about a guy who was very discouraged, but he didn't stay down. He chose to do something about that, and he threw out this rallying cry, and he got families involved, and they bought into it, And in 52 days, they did the remarkable. They built something that had been destroyed and burnt and was in ruins. But yet you used moms and dads and daughters and sons, grandparents, friends. You used that community to do something special that helped them move past frantic. God, I believe you've got so much more for all of us than just surviving the day and then going to bed and getting back up again and doing that all over again. God, help us to live on purpose. And I think developing a rallying cry like Nehemiah did is something that's gonna help us with that. So God, help us not to walk out in a few seconds and kind of just forget about all this. Help us to embrace it and then implement. Give us the courage and the strength to do that, knowing it's gonna help us move past frantic. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.